Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Backstage. Um, anyway, I'm Becky Davidson. I chair the Environmental Access Committee, and we are here with a transportation session on they roll up the sidewalks, and we'll be talking about rural and small town issues for pedestrians as well as transportation. Um, it's certainly a, a bit of a different world. Our objective for this meeting and the one to follow as well as the two yesterday is to provide you some information and background and then ask you to talk about your experiences or concerns or ask your questions about these issues so that on Wednesday when we wrap up the entire to mobility and beyond um, program we will be able to provide ACB with some very valuable information about the types of advocacy we hope to bring about. So before I do anything else, I'm going to ask Cindy, our Zoom host, uh, if you would please give us the CEU code. I would love to. So if you signed up for continuing education credits, you'll want to write this down. It's actually five letters, no numbers this time. C as in chocolate, yeah. E as in elephant, C as in chocolate, D, as in Delta, C as in chocolate. <laughs> uh, this is a good one. So C as in chocolate, E as in elephant, C as in chocolate, D as in Delta, and C as in chocolate. Thanks. And we'll give you the closing one at the end of the session. So welcome everyone. And our presenters this afternoon uh, are Connie Sims, who is the president of the South Dakota Association of the Blind from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, we also have Lyle Sines from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Pat Sheehan, who many of you heard yesterday, um, who is from Silver Spring, Maryland. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to turn the mics over to Connie. Thanks, Becky. Um, welcome, everyone. I um, hope everyone is enjoying the convention and the transportation forums. Um, I think they've been really insightful. And as Pat stated yesterday, we are looking at hopefully doing some community chats since we have so much to cover and never enough time with this forum. So, um, but I have been involved, a kind of advocate of transit, um, transportation in the rural area, because that's all I've ever lived is in the rural part of the country. Um, since I moved to Sioux Falls, and that was like 35 years ago. So that's kind of my background with transportation. Um, Lyle, would you like to say a few words? Lyle, are you there? Uh, yeah, there you go. Sorry. There we go. Okay. Um, I've been involved with transportation, uh, basically watching it for the for a very many years. I do a lot of research and trying to find out the best thing for people to use when they want to do transit. And this goes all around from anything from bus all the way to plane, train, whatever. And I've just this is my hobby. That, but it's transportation is what I l like to work with. Thank you, Pat. Would you like to say anything? Yes, I'll be, uh, let me talk about Connie and Lyle for a minute. Uh, I've worked with them on transportation issues over the last couple of months. Lyle is being uh, 
he does uh, has done research and really has helped to, to um, tell us, you know, what's going on in different parts of the country with respect to uh, rural transportation, urban transportation. He see, does a lot of big picture stuff. Connie um, started when when we started talking came up with a totally different perspective uh, than I had on transportation in an urban area like Washington, D.C. So, and, and it's, um, the solutions you have to put forward are different. Uh, you've got to think differently than you would in, in a urban situation. Your resources are different. So I've learned an awful lot from both Lyle and Connie and uh, I think this is an excellent group to work with. And thank you everybody for attending. This is gonna be a good session. Thanks, Connie. Thanks, Pat. Um, also on our, our panel board, and he's not part of the presentation, but it's Chris Bell. And um, I commend him for his awesome write-up and um, expertise in this area. Chris, would you like to say anything? Uh, no, I'm just uh, glad that folks are here and uh, let's let's get rolling. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. All right. So rural transportation is definitely different than the urban um, metropolitan area. So I want to just kind of just to start out with some, some surprising statistics. I think um, I know Pat and Lyle, when we were visiting, they were just kind of shocked at some of the, the numbers that I gave them. Um, so approximately 97% of the United States land area is in, is within rural counties. Um, so that's quite a bit. And that is 60 million people, which is roughly 19.3% of the population reside, reside in these areas. So that's quite a, quite a bit, you know, and we don't think about it that much, but then another interesting one is 45% of Americans have no access to transportation whatsoever. So, you know, we don't think about that in the rural areas we do, but I think in the metropolitan Washington DC, you know, um, California, Chicago, we don't, they don't think about it as much. So it's totally, definitely a hardship and a, a huge concern for all of us, but even more in the rural transportation area. So, um, so in the rural areas, a lot of the transportation is limited, very limited, and it's limited within the cities, it's limited within uh, city to city. Um, so some cities will have a fixed route, some will have a fixed route and a paratransit, um, some don't have either, some will only have an on-demand service, some may have a taxicab company, um, some may have Lyft and Uber, but very few have like more than one option. So I'm here in Sioux Falls, um, which is, our population is about 195,000. Um, so we're considered almost an urban area. We have a bunch of small communities around us. Um, Rapid City is the third largest one in South Dakota. And they, so going back, Sioux Falls has um, our fixed route. We have a paratransit, we have Lyft, we have Uber, and now we have um, we have Lyft and Uber, 
and um, fixed and paratransit. We do have like a company called um, Wheelchair Express for just wheelchair people. Um, so we have quite a bit of service, but that's only for part of our city. Um, so we're lucky that way. Where then you get to Rapid, um, and that's the second largest city in South Dakota. They have like a fixed route and they have on demand and they have a lift and some taxi cab companies. Um, and then you get to Aberdeen, who is the third largest city and they just have on demand service. So they don't have any fixed route and they just have a demand um, and they have taxi companies and they have lift. So those are the three largest ones. And then you get all to that smaller ones and we get to the reservations. So it's interesting because Sioux Falls is large, like we are, and, but we can't take our transportation throughout the whole city. And we can't get to the outskirts. There's even parts of the middle part, the center part of the city that is not even covered. And sometimes years ago, um, they were covered, but it's not covered anymore. So as the city grows, our transit doesn't grow. In the majority of time, our transit shrinks. But we can't even get to um, a city that's like five miles away from us to visit them and shop there. And they can't get to us that way either. Um, so that is one of the hardships. So then you have rural communities that have some transportation that I'll use Brookings as an example, who is like 45 miles, 45 minutes away down the high, down the interstate. And they have an on-demand service. And they come to Sioux Falls like three or four times a day. But the nice thing with them is that they will stop along the interstate to some of the small communities and pick up riders. And they'll bring them to Sioux Falls to do healthcare, um, mainly healthcare, sometimes shopping. And now we can get to Brookings from Sioux Falls as a Sioux Falls residence, but we have to make arrangements, I believe, to like stay 24 hours. So it's, it's interesting how this is so different and how you have to really plan your time. Um, I would like to know how some of the other if we have questions in the audience, how some of the other smaller communities operate, if, if they have any ideas or how they are run. Are they still kind of like, how many of them do have a fixed route system? Maybe can we, can we see a, share a hand raise of how many communities have fixed routes? So it looks like we have about 13 so far. So how many have a fixed route and a paratransit? Just a minute, just a minute. Sorry. You've got, you've got people's hands still raised. And okay. So it's hard to know. I do not know if this is for, yeah, it's hard to know what, it was not cleared 
before, so I do not know where we're at right now, to be okay. honest with you. So let's take all the hands down if we can. Okay, I just lowered everybody's hand, but it takes a minute for it to actually happen. So Sounds give good. it a second and then Thanks, it's kind of like it's oh no problem it's like <laughs> slow motion <laughs> i think i i think we're we're all low we're all oh, lowered I don't, down. I don't see any hands up there yeah, now so. yeah so. okay so how many how many have a fixed route plus paratransit Twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-seven. It's going up. Going up. So that's good. So thirty. All right. Let's call it good there. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and let's raise down. It's drop the hands down. So that shows that most small, small rural communities don't have a fixed route. Um, so on a side note, I want to give an example, and this is what I would like to hear from other people is, so Sioux Falls is thinking about doing a pilot program. And we have our fixed route and our service area has shrunk so much. What they're looking at doing, and they're trying to tell us that all over the United States is doing this, is that they want to, eventually do away with our fixed route and just do an on-demand but it's not going to be just an easy on-demand service they want us to do um request our app our rides through an app or the website and if you don't have a cell phone or a website then you can call them and reserve your ride in the same day but they were going to give you 15 minutes so we'll have bus stops but they're never gonna be in the same spot. The bus stops are gonna vary all the time. Maybe some, they said, will be in the same area or the same spot, but not very many. So you call and you request your, your ride, you tell them where you wanna go, and then they are gonna give you 15 minutes to walk to that destination. And then you go to get on and then you never know which route you're gonna take. You may not ever travel the same route to your destination. They may pick up other people along the way because they're gonna use our regular size fixed, fixed route buses. Um, they don't know if it's gonna work. They're hoping it will work. But the thing is, is if they do get it to work, then there's no guarantee that we'll ever keep paratransit because paratransit is part of the huge budget for us. So does anyone else have that type of service would be my question of type of on-demand service. I see a couple hands up, Cindy. There's six. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and take take a call or two. 
they've been lowered? Well, they're being lowered. <laughs> All right. So does anyone ever, ha does anyone have that type of on-demand or they, are their communities thinking about that type of on-demand service? Connie, this is Chris Bell. Um, where uh, my wife and I live in Pittsburgh, North Carolina, it's in Chatham County. We have no mass transit um, per se, but we have uh, on-demand uh, bus service door-to-door uh, with uh, 48 hours advance notice. And it's not, it's for anybody that lives in the county, traveling within the county. Uh, so it has not limited to people who are seniors or folks with disabilities or anybody else. But it's not the kind of thing you're talking about with uh, varying bus stops. It's, it's true door to door. Okay. Yeah, and that's what our paratransit is right now is true door to door. Um, you know, we have that with Lyft. So it's like, why would we want to do this if we can have Lyft door to door or we have paratransit right now? So um, thanks, Chris. These are. Hi, this is Pat. One yeah. of the things that I'll bet you're going to find if you ask the right question to the right people is how much is microtransit, which is what this could uh, be, basically, uh, how much is it going to cost and how much is it going to save um, the city to provide this kind of access? You're right, though, because it's not going to be what you might consider fixed route transit. Your paratransit could be one of the liabilities that happen, but you wouldn't find out about that until you agree to do this pilot project and they just basically cancel the buses and the bus routes. And, I mean, the, the, at least the buses anyway, you keep the bus routes. But yeah, I don't, I don't like where it's going because it seems like you're, overall you're getting less transit. We have micro transit in our area, very similar to what Chris did, has, and it, it supplements what we already have in areas that are under, underserved, but it doesn't replace the generic system that you need, robust system that you need in a city like that. Thanks, and that's exactly what it is. And I've asked those questions and I can't answer those questions. I'm kind of their thorn in their side. So it is like micromanagement. And they, even if this is approved, it will not even cover the rest of the city. They're still going to cover what the bus routes cover right now. So that's why I think it's so interesting. That's why I'm curious if there's anyone else out there who has any type of experience with any like this situation. Cindy, do we have some hands, I think? Cindy, do we, I think we have some hands raised. Yes, yeah, sorry. I thought Honey, I was unmuted. I wasn't. Go ahead. Uh, should I go? I'm, my, it got all funny noisy it's Sheila and I'm I guess I'm, I'm taking notes and I'm not exactly we live in a very large metropolitan area here in Kansas City and we have many outlying communities that have absolutely no coverage whatsoever and we have very patchy connectivity between it's not nearly as rough as it is in a rural area but for a you know metropolitan city like ours, 
we are sort of known, us in St. Louis, as two cities in the nation with the most freeway miles per capita of any cities in the country. So we've got a very car-oriented population here and pretty patchy bus and transportation coverage, no light rail, a couple of showpiece streetcar two miles downtown. And we even have a, um, uh, an area out across, I live very close to the Kansas-Missouri um, border and in um, Kansas in Johnson County, we have, uh, um, Johnson County has gotten out of doing paratransit for years and years by simply renaming different buses at different types of the, of the different times of day so that they can claim they don't have regular bus service, they just have commuter routes, so they haven't been providing paratransit, and there have been complaints, and they know they have to fix it, and now they're trying to wait and see if microtransit will solve it for them, but, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of problems in this area. So yeah. you do have some raised hands. Okay. Um, Andy, you can unmute. Okay. Hi. Can everybody hear me? Hi, Andy. Hey. Um, so we have uh, microservice like Uber and Lyft and a couple of cab companies, but as far as the fixed route goes, I don't believe that um, our bus company is going to look into any of the microtransit options because about six years ago, uh, they had invested probably about, I think the last report that I saw was about $25 million in renovating what they already had and trying to improve city service. And even at that rate, by the time the 10 year plan is finished, they still will only be able to cover 30% of the city and still have no money left. So they're committed probably for the next 10 years or so at least on the traditional fixed route paratransit service. I mean, like, it's interesting because I could go five miles down the road one way and not get service, but go 20 miles down the road the other way and get service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And as far as rural as far as rural service is concerned we have a city well a suburb i should say it's about 15 miles north of here that used to get hourly service from one bus because that's all the city council was willing to pay for and even still they had dropped it down to twice a day because the city council is not interested in letting the voters put out a millage for it. So we have those kind of issues too. Otherwise, they'd get hourly service from a bus, at least in the paratransit system. Connie, so I'm letting you know that there's eight raised hands. Okay. Yeah. I'll let you finish up, Andy, and then we'll keep going. For so, that. you know, part of the problem are is the government officials. And I agree with that. And that's where we're running into problems now. So um, totally agree because usually they don't take any public transit. So let's go on to our next call. Andy, so, where, where are you calling from? 
Yeah, and you have 10 raised hands now, by the way. Uh, the last four digits of 4141, you should be unmuted. Oh, good and good afternoon. Uh, this is Jackie Shepard, and uh, I live in Desmet, and uh, we have an on-demand service, which is pretty cool since our, you know, we have a very small town, about 1,100 people. Uh, and we just got that service in February. Uh, but our problem here is that we uh, do not have out-of-town service hardly. Uh, we have arranged with Brenda to uh, go to and from Brookings and thereby connecting with Sioux Falls if we want to pay $50 round trip or more. There is another service that they have once a month. I think it's every... Uh, the second Monday, and there we get a $10 service to and from Brookings, which is good, but it will only go from like about 9 o'clock to 3. It goes around the whole county. And that's that's all I have. Thanks, and good presentation, Connie. Thanks, Jackie, and I think we need to keep working on that, you know, because at least since we've had our state convention and we talked um, with Brenda and stuff, at least you guys have a of a transit service now and we you didn't then so that was in 2018 and now at least you have some things i think if we keep working on it hopefully we can keep improving that so i really appreciate that becky or jackie go ahead and cindy bill you can unmute yourself how's it going uh i'm we uh recently uh, like a couple of our uh uh, transit routes have gone recently to the on-demand where we still have a couple of fixed routes towards like, I, I live in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, where, you know, it's towards the school, there's, you know, the fixed routes, but out towards the, you know, outskirts of town, they're now moving to an on-demand service and how uh, Alabama is uh, funded. We have some major issues because, um, because of how it's funded, we don't actually get too much services. And, you know, with the whole COVID thing, our 5310 uh, services are down. So it's <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Haha. Uh -huh. uh, trying to get that all figured out. Um, especially since, like, I have a lot of consumers that are trying to uh, get places. And, you know, they're old school and don't like to use Uber or Lyft, even though we do have that in the area. Uh, but it's also a way that the, uh, you know, they're basically saying like, oh, we, you know, we can't serve you right now, uh, you know, for the, for the paratransit part. That's been one of their reasons for getting around it. Like, oh, you're, you're not within three quarter miles of one of our stops for paratransit. And that's what, you know, and that's what's happening, you know, around here is that we, we expanded our paratransit. At one time it was originally, you could go a lot further out, basically to the city limits. And then they finally cut it back to three-fourths miles. So now a lot of the city is not being covered. So it is hard, is it? it it's, and again, it's government and it's the city officials who don't take the transit stuff a lot um, in our rural areas. So it is a non, fighting thing and let's take a couple more questions and I want to go on to the next thing Cindy because I think it kind of all combines together. 6638 you should be unmuted. 
Hello. Hello. Can you hear me okay? Yes, you sound good. Um, I'm Elizabeth, and I live in Alamogordo, New Mexico, would you believe? <laughs> and um, we do have paratransit here, and we have some fixed route bus service, but uh, it doesn't run on holidays. It doesn't run on weekends. And um, so, you know, if you need to go pick up a prescription, um, the taxi cab charges a lot. Like, those charge for one stop, and then and then they'll charge you for the second leg of another stop. But it's not; they'll make it as one complete, you know, two legs of for for one stop or some. You know what I mean? It's it's very expensive to go by cab here. Um, we have some out of town service, not not that great. Uh, but again, those don't run on either holidays or or weekends, and uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, the government officials too. Yeah. They don't want to expand it. Uh, we've told them that. Well, a few years ago, they wanted to close the whole paratransit and the it, and uh, a bunch of people from NFB and ACB showed up. Well, there's not that many of us here from ACB, but we showed up and we're like, no, you can't do that. There's too many seniors and, and visually impaired people. And so for the pandemic, they closed it on the 26th of March and they didn't open it up till like May 10th. And so we were with without transportation for all, all that time, you know. Yeah. And I thought that was horrible. It is hard, you know, and I thank you for that. I, you know, there is, it's hard because we never lost transportation, but I know a lot of other places have. Um, let's take one more call, Cindy, and I'd like to go on to the next topic. Okay. Next area Paul, you can unmute yourself. Okay. Okay. There we go. Um, I live in Austin, Texas. And so we have actually transitioned from, I used to call it when I first came here 20 years ago, 30 years ago, a suburb of nothing. It was a very much like a suburban transit system. Now it's more of a, you know, become more metropolitan, but we're doing uh, on-demand service um, in certain zones. And uh, the I, what their push here is, is to get people from, they call it first mile, last mile. Get you from your house to your nearest bus stop. And get you get you from your nearest bus stop to the house. Um, our problem with our service is that you might get you might um, get to a bus stop and have to take a pickup, which was which we call our on demand from the bus stop. But it will ask you to walk to someplace that's not. Then they don't have their own bus stops mapped into the pickup system, which is what they're supposed to do. So. That's the issue we're having, and we're trying to get more zones on demand just to uh, uh, cover that last mile, first mile, last mile. They're not talking about eliminating fixed drought. They just want to, uh, you know, have on demand in the low demand areas. Oh, and, Paul, I really appreciate that because that's what Sioux Falls wanted to do originally, and now they're switching gears and going the opposite way, basically. So I think that's really good information because I think, you know, it's, it's hard because – that's what I question then too is, you know, a lot of the the stops were not going to be accessible or they didn't have stops. So how are people going to get around? So 
I appreciate that. All right, so in rural communities, and I would say like rural, I mean, like I think of my hometown, um, Groton, who is like, and which is really growing now is maybe 1500 people, but a lot of smaller ones like Jackie called, they get rural transportation. And a lot of times it's just maybe a, a minivan um, or a, you know, a small bus that they get have transportation because of healthcare. Um, so they can get their residents to the larger cities for healthcare issues. Um, and that's how they get some of their grants and some of their money. Um, but a lot of that is actually funded just by local money and state money. A lot of them don't get federal funding um, and they do fundraisers. So I think that's a huge thing. And even like Sioux Falls here, which were bigger, a lot of our healthcare we cannot get to. Um, I kind of jokingly, but I didn't mean it jokingly, but when I was visiting with Pat and Lyle on this, um, during the pandemic when we were, buses were, we never shut down completely on the fixed routes. So the paratransit ran, um, they were limited and stuff of how many people or one person per ride. But the fixed routes, they stopped running some of those routes. And we have two major hospitals and then we have a VA here in town and they stopped running the fixed routes to all three hospitals. You could call the management and say, well, I need a ride to this healthcare facility and, or this area, and they would do it, but you had to give a day advance notice, just like paratransit. Um, so I think that's a huge thing because healthcare is so important to all of us, especially my, my eye doctor is not even covered by paratransit anymore. It's not covered by fixed route and they're on the outskirts of town. So everyone keeps growing and businesses keep expanding, but routes don't keep expanding. So I think we need to figure out how do we change that? I take Lyft and one way in a Lyft is much cheaper than a cab, but one, one way in a Lyft is like almost $11 for my house. So, um, and I have to go every two weeks, so it adds up. I mean, um, so I think that's a huge thing is healthcare. Um, and I, I'm sure that a lot of our, you know, our participants, that's why we use our transit. We try, besides business and employment is the healthcare um, aspect of it. The next- Connie, part, this is Chris Bell. I wanted to just add a couple of quick thoughts. Um, Medicaid, uh, as opposed to Medicare, uh, Medicaid will pay for transportation um, to a healthcare provider, um, and where there isn't uh, um, any kind of uh, existing van service to provide that, uh, they will pay a private driver. But the problem with that is that they only pay the private driver one way. So, if you drive somebody from uh, you know point A to point B for healthcare and it's 65 miles then the driver has to drive back to point A, but that's considered a deadhead. So the driver doesn't get paid for that. So in effect, their pay is, is cut in half by virtue of those, of those long distances. Also, in some places I'm aware, uh, large healthcare facilities uh, will pay uh, or, or have a transportation arm or subsidize uh, transportation for people uh, leaving uh, hospitals to get home. 
Um, so there, there are different uh, pieces of this. Also, in Minnesota, they were trying to have uh, a system where the different rural uh, networks, to the extent they existed, different uh, microtransit companies, etc., would merge in terms of uh, insurance uh, and in terms of eligibility, uh, so that you could have a semi uh, one regional transportation hub. Um, but I don't think it ever came to pass because there was. Uh, too much uh, jurisdictional uh, infighting. Um, but the notion of being able to deal with uh, cross-jurisdiction uh, transportation, I think is, is an important one. And uh, insurance is a, is, a, is a big problem and a big piece of that. So no, I'll shut up, thank you. No, Chris. Hey everyone, it's Becky. I'm just giving you the halfway warning. We're, it's about 20 minutes to four and we have until 4.15 or really 4.10 or 12, something like that. All right, thanks Becky. No, I appreciate that, Chris. I think that's really good information. And I know you and I talked about that a little bit before, but, and I know like Sioux Falls, I know one of the hospitals is starting to offer that. I don't know a whole lot about it yet. Um, and that's something I need to look into more, but I think that's something that all of us, and it comes back to all of us need to be our own advocate. We need to work together, but we all need to speak up. And um, I think that's what part of this is, is I, and I keep saying this, and Pat, I think is tired of me saying this, is that we need to work on the local level and go to the state level and then go to the national level, but we need to all, talk and we need to advocate for ourselves and look for help if we need that assistance. But um, if we don't speak up, especially in the smaller communities and find out who runs the transportation, if it's, you know, if you need to go to the mayor or a city council person um, and find out who your transportation people are or how your transit stuff is run, um, it's, it's totally different because I mean, I go back to my hometown again, Groton that I mentioned and um, when I was looking at their stuff, they, it's all run voluntarily. They have one paid employee and everything else, the drivers, um, some of the people who take the dispatch stuff, it's all volunteer. So that's how they make it work in a small community. They don't have a lot of resources. So I think that's a huge thing. Um, and again, going into that, I think, you know, websites, apps, um, I kind of joke and, I, and I've told city officials, Sioux Falls doesn't have the best websites and we don't have any apps, you know? So we're a big enough community that we should have apps for the buses. They keep telling us they're going to, they don't. Um, so I, I looked when I did, doing my different research, I was impressed that some of the smaller communities in Montana and Wyoming or especially Colorado, Montana had, um, apps that they use and they use just like um, mini buses to get around from city to city. So I think that's a huge thing. Um, and we have meetings, we have our translate meetings. Um, I'm on a, quite a few transit boards and now they're just starting to be um, virtual because of the pandemic. Before you never could join them. So I'm hoping that we can keep pushing that we can join those meetings virtually. And that's even part of the 
issue when we go in front of the city council, it's after hours for us to get to the council meeting or we can get to the council meeting, but to get home, the buses have stopped. So we, when there's issues and things coming up in front of the city council, we can't go there and then we can go there, but then how do we get home? Do we take a lift home? Do we have to call um, you know, Wheelchair Express if it's someone in a wheelchair? And that's part of it. And I think that's what we need to push for as consumers for all of us is that we advocate and um, we're all leaders. You know, like JP Morgan said this morning, every single one of us is a leader. And I believe that. And we all lead in different ways. But I think um, if we get to know our city officials and find out and research and play on the websites and find out if there's a website or if there's a, how it goes or how um, an app is, if we can use it at all. Um, with that, Cindy, let's take a few more questions. Um, I, before someone is unmuted, it's Sheila. And I um, have two things going on in Kansas City that might be of interest. Um, my Center for Independent Living has uh, found a way to cash in on Medicaid funding. They are um, contracting with several of the health insurance companies and people can request that the whole person provides the medical transportation. So we are you know, both making transportation available for people who need it and the center is making a little money. So there are, uh, I think they're making more than a little bit of money. Uh, there are ways you know, to kind of um, have organizations and individuals benefit from partnerships like this. And then I'm just killing myself to remember the name of it. It's probably different in different cities anyway. But I have another individual who I work with who had a lot of cancer treatments. And she was having a real hard time figuring out how to get back and forth from the hospital. So I found a social worker who knew about this group of volunteers through the American Cancer Society who had all been, they were all retired individuals, they'd all been through cancer treatments themselves, and they were just this best kept secret. And I think this woman got taken to and from all of her chemo treatments. Only one she had to arrange for something else, this, you know, wonderful group of American Cancer Society volunteers was there for her. Thank you. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. I want to make one comment and then you can we'll take calls, Cindy. Um, and I think that's great because I do know like here in Sioux Falls and I don't know about any other cities, but we do have like a church group that is called Project Car and it's for just seniors or just disabled. And you can request a ride within seven days, before seven days. And they will take you places, which is great, especially doctor's appointments. Um, and then here in Sioux Falls, we let if you have a Medicare or Medicaid card, or you're a veteran, you ride transit for free. So that's one nice thing that we do recommend. So let's take a call, Cindy. Sure, Doug, Stip, you can unmute. Okay, can everybody hear me? Yes. Doug. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, uh, first of all, I wanna say a shout out to, uh, to uh, Pat Sheehan and uh, Everybody, uh, Mary and I live in Fargo. Last fall, we moved from Minot to Fargo, partly because 
of the what what we have for transportation here versus what we left in my, behind in Minot. Minot, for example, has not been served by by a transportation bus service like Jefferson Line since nineteen uh, since two thousand and sixteen. It shut down nearly four years ago, and 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 the only way you can really get to to Fargo from Minot is to either or, or, or say from from. Uh, uh, might not to Fargo is either take the train or, or, or fly or, or get somebody to drive you there, for example. But here in Fargo, we have, we have a, um, a fixed route service. It is free during the pandemic. And so is our, our paratransit. So, so we are, we are better served here than we would have been had we moved to Bismarck, which, uh, we were considering moving to Bismarck, but Bismarck doesn't really have as good of a transportation system. And that's the, the capital city of, of North Dakota. What's the North, what's North Dakota's capital city doing without adequate uh, fixed route uh, systems or whatever you want to call it, you know? That's not good. You know, at least Pierre is our capital and we they have um, transit. So that's it's a small community, but they have transit there. So I appreciate right. that, Doug. Next we have 14 uh, raised hands. So Phil, funny. it's you, my friend. You're unmuted. Phil, we don't hear you, but it says you're unmuted. Oh. Yep, yes. go ahead Good and talk. Good afternoon, everyone. I, uh, I live in uh, Loganville, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, but there's hardly anything out here other than the on-demand uh, or the uh, Loganville does have a taxi cab company. But uh, I've heard that there are some things in the works like light rail service that are coming to the Atlanta area and something is taking place over in the Athens area that may be moving out here. But uh, it's really about time for it to happen because there are a lot of people in this part of town who go to downtown Atlanta to work every day. And that's why there's actually more traffic going to downtown. There is downtown sometimes. And, um, I know I had, before I retired, I had to have someone drive me to the um, uh, subway station closest to me. And uh, it was just really, really tough going. But uh, you would think that... Um, a metropolitan Atlanta where there's so many people commuting, they would have transportation all over the 28 county area, but only half of the area is covered. You know, and that's, that's the sad thing is that, you know, you would think more of them would be covered. So I appreciate that. And that's, and it's all good information for us to find out. I, I um, think for the gentleman in, in the Atlanta area, I think he needs to direct and, and look at Marta which is, the, which is the bus company system down in Atlanta, Georgia, talk to their people, talk to their information people about what they're planning to do in your area. The only way we learn about different things in the area is by contacting these agencies, the big, the big agencies and the little ones to see what their plans are. And that's the best way, best option that I could say for anybody. Yeah, and I agree with you, Lyle. Thank you. Cindy? So, Doug, you can unmute yourself. Doug, you should have something on your screen or you can use uh, Alt-A if you're on the computer to unmute. 
Um, if not, I'll go to the next person. Uh, Ray, go ahead. There we go. Got the button hit. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, great topic. Uh, Connie, I, I, I live in the Chicago area, but grew up in a rural area, so understand this well. Um, you, so you might think, well, you're calling in from Chicago. you got great transportation. And we and we do, um, but I want to talk about an issue that we have here in Illinois. Our problem here is that getting between cities, uh, you know, fairly large cities, uh, for example, uh, Bloomington, which is in the central part of the state, if you want to go between Bloomington and Rockford, you have to actually go to Chicago in order to do that. Uh, there's no direct uh, services. Same way, there's three large cities, Springfield, Decatur, Champaign, um, you really can't go between them uh, anymore or either. The only places that really it really works are if you have Amtrak service. And I want to just caution people, some of the things I'm hearing from uh, High Speed Rail Alliance is that there's actually potential cuts to Amtrak coming. So um, that could be an issue. Um, I, I want to ask you guys, first of all, I want to ask you say, Connie, uh, one of the things I might suggest you talk to your folks up there and say to them, hey, we've got Uber and Lyft. Why are you looking to go to this whole on-demand crazy system? Why don't you just take the money you'd spend on that and subsidize Uber and Lyft rides for people that need them? And then the other thing I want to throw to the committee and a concern I'm, I'm having is that I'm thinking that a lot of areas are trying to change their system so that they're not called fixed routes. And I, I wondering if that's maybe so they don't have to provide paratransit. Uh, like to be interested in your thoughts on that. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. Um, I just want to make a couple comments before you make, before we take the next call, Cindy. Um, so yeah, one of the other things I was going to talk about is inner city transit because it is horrible. I mean, we don't, so South Dakota and Wyoming do not have Amtrak. So, I have been told that South Dakota does not plan on ever having Amtrak because we have so many freight trains and the rails are all owned by rail companies. So I don't know about Wyoming, but South Dakota will probably never get Amtrak service. So we have Jefferson lines and we have Greyhound and we don't get service very well. They go down the interstate um, we have Interstate 90, we have Interstate 29. They go down the interstates, but they very seldom pull into a small town. If it's right off the interstate, they'll pull in and pull out. Sometimes it's just a package pickup. That is, a, with the pandemic right now, you can't even get any service from the northern part of the state um, from Sioux Falls. It's limited, and I there's no way I could get from like what we call the summit area, which is we call the Bermuda Triangle, um, and it goes straight up. Jefferson Line goes right up into North Dakota from there. Um, to go north to like the Aberdeen area, the northern part of the state, you can. There's no transportation whatsoever right now, and you can't take it on the weekends. So, it is. It's the inner city transit in rural areas, and even like race. I mean, in the Chicago area, Illinois area is really bad, um, and it's getting worse. So. That's another huge concern for all of us. Um, so let's see what else everyone has to say, Cindy. Okay, one eight four four. 
Hi, uh, Steve Mendelson here. Uh, two things. First of all, going back to the issue of medical transportation, several people have mentioned Medicaid, but there's also a Medicare angle to this, too. Uh, in an effort to uh, uh, prioritize managed care over fee-for-service, uh, the current uh, U.S. administration has authorized uh, Medicare managed care companies to provide services that fee-for-service providers cannot, and one of those is transportation. And so uh, there, is an, there is an option there. Uh, it has to be de- developed also uh, as has been mentioned on Medicaid, uh, the uh, opportunity does exist. Transportation is a recognized service, and there are ways to develop it. One can also, uh, with respect to these so large hospitals, bring pressure on them because there are financial dis- disincentives under the Medicare system and the Medicaid system both for patient readmissions. So sometimes to the extent that lack of adequate transportation can result in uh, unnecessary or accelerated readmissions, uh, some uh, overall budgeting pressure can be brought there. One other point, though, is uh, people say, uh, and it seems quite seductive at first glance, well, look, if they're paying $40 a, a ride and Uber or Lyft would cost 15 why not just uh, uh, retain Uber or Lyft? The answer is this. Uh, what they would save per ride, they would lose in volume because if they made it too easy, they're afraid too many people would sign up for it and be technically eligible for it, and so they'd end up spending more money even though the per ride cost would be quite a lot less. Thank you. That's very good points. Cindy? Yep. Okay, we have Wes, you can unmute. Hi, this is Wesley Brown. I live in Portland, Oregon, and we have pretty good bus, uh, light rail, streetcar service here. But the situation is, my I have the church I, I've been going to, which is like about 20 miles south of Portland, in a small suburban town of Westland. The thing is, where the, the fixed routes are fixed, it's like my church, my fixed route routes form like a downward facing C around my church, and my church is like in the middle of the opening of that downward facing C, print C. And the C basically ends in like a hospital on the west end and it goes to another, you know, small sub, suburb town on the uh, east end. Each, each of those stops, the nearest bus stop is like the hospital, which is like three and a quarter miles from my church. And so to get to my church, to get to three and a quarter miles, for years, one of the pastor staff used to give me a ride from the bus to from the bus stop in the church. But my church has started doing a multi-site arrangement. And of course, they haven't put up any sites near where, where I live that I could get access to on the regular fixed route bus service. And so, but that spread your staff too thin. And there's nobody available to give me that ride from that bus stop at that hospital to my church for the three and something miles. And they'll say, oh, take Uber, take Lyft, but that's like $10 each way, adding up to 20 miles a Sunday, $80 a month. And so, you know, I've been like trying out another church and I've been going to the church now because of the pandemic, just meeting with them online. But that's my big transportation headache I'm dealing with here in the Portland, Oregon area. And of course, inner city service here in Portland, it's mostly Amtrak. And you get down to Southern Oregon, your only option is Greyhound. Yeah, it is, and it's hard because we don't have service either in, in, on Sundays, so you have to find your own way, or some churches you know, offer rides. So it is, it's very hard and very frustrating. That's definitely stuff that we all need to work on. Cindy? Bob, you can unmute. 
Yeah, hi, this is uh, Bob Warren. I'm from uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. <clears throat> I'm actually on our, uh, what we call Easy Rider Advisory Committee, and I have, uh, we have a pretty good system. I won't, there's some issues with it, but I'll, I'll confine my remarks to, um, and maybe this has been discussed before, I joined a little late, but um, I've been looking at some companies that I found out about that, that um, can, they're, they're third-party companies that you can contract with to provide um, a service to low, uh, uh, wide open areas. The county below us, Chatham County, it's about 700 square miles. And rather than try to uh, send school buses to get some of the kids that live fairly far away, uh, they contract with this uh, a company. It used to be called, um, sorry, used to be called um, ALC Solutions. They seem to have changed their name to American Logistics but um, they would take over the vetting of any drivers and the management of getting those kids to, to school. Um, and that same company, American Logistics, on their website, they have something called Uber Health. And um, that, that I, maybe people know about that kind of a, of a service that towns could, could work with that offload a lot of the vetting of the drivers and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, so th those, uh, those are my comments. Thank you, good comments. Cindy? So uh, Teresa, you can speak, oh. you're already unmuted. Oh, okay. Oh, this has been my lifelong headache. Um, for four years when I was in college, and I won't go, go into a lot of detail, but I went to, um, I took classes uh, at a nearby campus, but I lived at home with my parents, and I really didn't want to do it that way, but that's neither here nor there, but I had to depend on them, and uh, we'll just say issues arose, and that I knew that wasn't going to work out, and it didn't, and then um, after college, I went to another college, and after I graduated, I lived in a city that at least had a city bus that I could walk to. And at that time, I had um, I could walk to the bus stop. I had a little vision. Um, then they um, this uh, blind organization in this town. It was Huntington, West Virginia. They had a, um, a service for the uh, blind, and there was transportation involved. At first, it was limited to just medical appointments, legal appointments, and their activities. And they ended up expanding, but they were very funny about um, what they wanted. They prioritized. So if you're, if you where you wanted to go did not uh, fit in the mold of what they would allow you to have, you could be bumped, and you'd have to find your own way, like take the bus or something like that. Which, thank goodness, I was good at. When I came to Little Rock, I ended up um, taking the bus for a little while. And some people used to worry about my safety, especially early in the morning when it was dark. And they said, you know, take the paratransit. We call it Lynx here. And so eventually I did get on Lynx. But now where I'm at, where I'm at, they don't have um, pair. It, it doesn't come out as far as I live. And I don't like that. And I did uh, speak to the uh, new head of our uh, Rock Region metros, which is what Lynx is under. And he's going to um, plead my case. 
he said they'll have a meeting on July 28th, but even if something does go through, it won't be implemented until um, November. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I know we're getting closer. I want to change directions a little bit. I know we have some more hands raised, but I want to touch on another topic that really affects the rural communities um, for us, for everyone, but especially for us, is sidewalks. So I know Becky and Karen talked about sidewalks yesterday and um, the signals, but a lot of the rural communities don't have sidewalks or they have very poor sidewalks, very poor maintained sidewalks. So it is very difficult to get around. Even in Sioux Falls, um, as large city we are, we have areas that are heavily trafficked and there's no sidewalks. Um, one side of the road may have a sidewalk, the other side of the road doesn't have a sidewalk. So it gets very dangerous for us to um, walk and get around to even like major areas because there's no sidewalks, especially in the small towns. I hear that all the time. I go back to my hometown and my folks' sidewalk is an old, old sidewalk and it's not in the best condition, but the cities take care of it. We're here, we're responsible to fix our sidewalks, but the smaller towns, um, a lot of times the cities will fix it. But again, that's funding and you have to figure out who is responsible. Um, so I, I know we have a lot of hands up on the regular transit stuff, but I would like to hear some comments or thoughts about how, how do you in a rural area safely get around. So maybe, so can we just lower some of the hands right now for a minute and see if we can get some comments on this <laughs> Oh my gosh, there's 11 people that have been waiting. Okay, let's, um, <laughs> yeah, let, go ahead, it's good to do it. I know we're getting short on time, so let's um, see if they can make comments too. Okay. So Ron, you can unmute. There's 12. Hey there, this is Ron. So let's just try to make everything short. Yep. We're, not, so, we're not just you, Ron, but everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's all good. So first off, I just wanted to point out that um, Bob was referencing American Logistics. They are actually, I work for them, and they are a corporate sponsor for the ACB conference this year. Um, so, you know, and how what Bob described is basically correct. And we can talk more about that in the paratransit conversation um, as an evolving model. But what I wanted to just quickly address, and Connie, I know you want to move on, is okay. um, first off, Steve Mendelson talked about the Medicare uh, transportation. Medicare Advantage um, is a very viable option for people who elect that coverage. Um, it is a covered service. Um, and Medicare, unlike Medicaid, which is kind of like bottom of the barrel, they just do what they have to. Medicare Advantage plans are competitively procured by healthcare. So there is an emphasis on quality. Um, so if you are able to get Medicare Advantage um, in transportation as a covered benefit, um, it can often be a very good benefit. Um, so with regard to rural transportation, the other thing I wanna point out is there are states that do a very good job with this because they coordinate um, at the state level. And I think two things, and then I'll be quiet. There is a, a coordination a council for access and mobility at the federal level um, that basically is um, it's it's basically been dead uh, but in the transit bill it, ha it has been reinvigorated um, and I think there is an opportunity to 
uh, encourage the CCAM, as it's called, to really take its mission seriously at the federal level to look for opportunities to coordinate between Department of Transportation, Health and Human Services, Departments of Veterans Affairs, uh, and, and, and Center for Medicaid uh, Services, and really look to coordinate funding, especially at the rural level where there's a true need. The other thing I would say is that we need to look at states that do a good job, and I would point to Pennsylvania as maybe the poster child for uh, coordinating transportation uh, in rural areas. Uh, now, Pennsylvania throws in a whole bunch of state money. Um, it's lottery money in the case of Pennsylvania, um, but they have very good models for doing rural transportation, and I think we need to you know, start thinking about looking at those models and seeing what can we learn from places where it is being done. Thanks, Ron, and I just wanna, I do have um, downloaded all the states with all of their transportation numbers. So um, I encourage everyone to take that and contact their state departments of transportation and see what they can get information from. So thanks, Ron. Next one, Cindy. Marion, you can unmute. Thank you very much for mentioning the sidewalk issue. That's a big one for me. I walk around my town of 30,000 with my guide dog and uh, we're missing a lot of sidewalks in areas. We have a state route that only has sidewalks on one side and um, on uh, the side that I need to access my church, there's no sidewalk. So there's no, not even a crosswalk across a major intersection there because there's no landing and no sidewalk. Um, I guess that's my safety, uh, you know, concern and, and issue you were asking for. Um, the other question I had, I'm working in a committee with this uh, community action group right now on accessibility. And we just uh, gave comments to the city on their ADA self-evaluation transition plan draft. And this issue I had with the sidewalk and, and no intersections, which I've been dealing with the city on for five years now, um, was not in that plan. And the answer I got from the coordinator was because they were only evaluating existing infrastructure in existing sidewalks, you know, intersections and, and things like that. Um, that pretty much floored me as far as, okay, how do you, uh, where is the appropriate place then to uh, put that in a plan, an ADA plan where uh, accessibility is not does not currently exist so it's not being involved in the plan added to the plan but yet it's badly needed um, secondly I just want to mention that we're working on our paratransit which we have in our city um, and we're having a hard time getting users uh, to get involved in what we're doing because they are so fed up and disgusted with the service and um, the timely time issues timeliness issues that they just don't even want to deal with it. And I think that's a, a vicious cycle when the writers are unhappy, they stop writing and then the ridership goes down and the city says, well, we're not having anybody ride it. Why should we pay for it? So those are the two comments I wanted to make. Thank you. Marion, what city are you in? Oh, I just muted her. Sorry. Okay. This is, this is Chris Bell. I just want to say the ADA doesn't um, require provision of services that uh, are needed. It only requires equal access to the services that are provided. So it's not going to, 
don't address it through a transition plan. You need to address it politically as a, as a transportation-related uh, issue, a public works issue, not an ADA issue. Thanks, Chris. I was going to ask you to answer that, so appreciate that, Chris. We know. Oh, we've got about five minutes, and actually probably time for one more question. Sounds good. So, Lino. I can do less than five minutes. One thing I do like about our, um, I can't, I don't really necessarily call it paratransit because they r run all over the county. The, the good thing is here, uh, we're fortunate. Uh, if you're a senior, if you have Medicaid or uh, Medicare rather, or any other insurance, they will pay for your trip to go to the doctor or get your script. In my case, I have Medicaid. They will get you a they take you to the doctor and they'll take you to get your script if you need it at Walmart, Walgreens, wherever. And they will also take you out of town to uh, doctor's appointments, not only within where I live, but, uh, you know, outside cities in a couple other counties. Um, the cool thing I wish would happen here, and I don't know if it'll ever happen, uh, is between our city fathers and Charlotte. We are so close, guys. Uh, I live in a little town called Albemarle, North Carolina, which is population-wise 16, 17,000, probably grow once the census is said and done later in the year. But anyway, that would be so darn good if they would get an expressway to get from here to there and back, you know, once a day and, you know, back in the evening, that, that sort of thing. Because I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who, you know, simply can't afford to travel via vehicle or whether you're blind or sighted or not, you know, uh, to go to work and do what you want to do there and come back home here. Uh, you know, that'd be such a good thing. The one good bit of news I learned really quick this morning was that we are going to actually get a Greyhound stop here. We don't know when that's coming, but apparently it's supposed to stop here twice a day and head east uh, to Raleigh and I forget uh, to uh, Charlotte in, in between there and Raleigh. So that that's one of the good things. I'll meet myself, Cindy. Thanks. Thank you. I am. Um, I appreciate that. And there's so much and I know there's still some hands raised and I apologize we didn't get to you. Um, if you have questions or something, you know, feel free to reach out to us, you know, on transportation. Um, but, you know, we have, or like I said, we're hoping to have some community calls and there's so much more to talk about and share. And that's how we learn. But again, I think a lot of it has to do that we have to educate and we have to educate the city officials, our government officials. Um, so again, look at the state numbers that are provided in the download. Chris has a great document. Um, Carol's document is awesome. So I'm hoping that you guys can download all those and get some information. Um, Lyle, Pat, do you have any closing comments? Oh, I have comments that if you're looking for new routes or anything like that, I knew the gentleman was talking about North Carolina, check with, check with the Charlotte bus system. Uh, give them a call, get, get, on, their, get on their ear because that's the only way you're going to get something. You got to be willing and able to advocate for yourself for things that you think everybody needs. Uh, and I would just say, Connie, great job. I would say that, um, see if you can get to some of these meetings via Zoom, if you can't get in person, uh, so that you learn about what's going on in transportation. Make sure that your website, your documents, your apps are all going to be accessible. They have to meet um, accessibility standards either through ADA or if they get federal funds through 508. So make sure you get the information you need to help make informed decisions. Thank you. Thanks. Chris, do you have any comments you want to finish with? Because I, I really appreciate your input on the one answer and stuff. 
Nope, I, I don't have anything to add. Thank you. Big day. Thanks, Chris. Great job. Becky, do you have any? Okay. Well, thank you, Connie and Pat and Lyle and Chris and all of you on the out, out there on your computers for uh, a very thoughtful um, presentation and lots of good ideas and comments. And the idea of the community calls um, is growing and stay tuned for that. Thank you, Connie, for mentioning the document downloads up on the ACB convention page. Um, those are great resources and we appreciate all the work that went into them. Um, our next session is going to be at 4.30 on this same station. Um, and that is the um, what should paratransit look like session with, with Ron. And so you have a little bit of time to take a quick break. My dog. Although we're going to do the CEU code. And, yeah, I was just going to do that. So <laughs> Don't want people has, to leave. <laughs> so Cindy has the CEU code, so go for it. Is okay. It All right. Zero. D is in Delta 484. That's zero. D is in Delta 484. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Cindy, for hosting. And hopefully, You're welcome. we'll see many of you in a few minutes. <laughs>